Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church year has come to an end and a new one we are set to begin, but not yet. You have to wait a whole other week. You've waited this long, right? You've waited a whole entire year for the Lord's coming. He's still delayed. Doesn't that bother you sometimes? Does it feel discouraging that the Lord still hasn't come yet? He's still not here. Not at least in the way he is told to come to us the final time. With glory at the sound of a trumpet, like a thief in the night. It can feel discouraging to some who are so ready for this age to end, for the new Jerusalem to come down from the heavens like a glorious bride prepared for her groom. I want that. It feels like there sometimes is no end to our misery, to our frustrations. And you know what? The temptations are real. They press in on us. The temptations are there to fall away to just go about doing things that we know are wrong. The struggle is real. And these things, they press in on all sides. The devil is there constantly annoying us so that we begin even to doubt, even just little bits of doubt. And these doubts feed into thinking that maybe the Lord's not going to come back for us. Maybe... It's just not true. Good Lord, deliver us from such thoughts. The ten virgins from our text were waiting. They were waiting for the bridegroom of the feast to come. They were waiting for the party, the celebration to begin, this celebration of his honorable marriage. You know, it made me think back to my own wedding. When before the arrival to the reception, there were some things we had to take care of afterward. We had to wrangle our entire family together, all probably, what, 50 or 60 of them in the front of the church for one ginormous picture that is probably the best picture that we have of our, of our wedding. All the members of our family gathered at the front, but not everybody was included in that. The rest went on to the reception and they had to wait because the party wasn't there yet. They had food and drinks and refreshments. We made sure they were taken care of, but they had to wait for us to begin the gorgeous celebration of our marriage. The thing is, I don't think anyone at the reception really believed that Anna and I weren't going to arrive. They didn't think that we weren't going to come. They pretty much knew that if we were wed here and we had all of the wine and the beer and the hors d'oeuvres and the catering and all the tables set that, well, we weren't going to miss out on that party, on that celebration. So they waited for us. We didn't tell them how long it was going to be. But they knew that we were going to be there, that the party would begin. They knew to be patient and wait for the time of celebration would come. The wise knew to wait. In fact, all the ten virgins knew to wait. But it was how they waited that was the difference. All of them 
were pure virgins. They had come to the celebration, standing outside the door, waiting for the bridegroom to come. They are you and me. They're all baptized. They're all called the holy ones here on earth, the pure in heart, the ones to whom God has given faith and his Holy Spirit. All waiting, all present today even, you and I here, waiting for the Lord's coming. But what a sobering picture this is, because not all enter the feast. Not all are brought indoors to the celebration. Some must hear this harsh word from the Lord, I do not know you. Some must see that when the bridegroom comes, they will not see him like those who have waited with faith. The gospel with the truth of the promise before them. They will see a shut door. They will see the separation from God. And it's sad because of the image that God tells us the church is before him. He says this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. That means make holy having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Really, there's nothing else in all of life that is more celebrated in all the earth than the salvation of humanity, bought and paid for with the holy, precious blood of Christ with his innocent suffering and death. There is nothing that will be more celebrated than that in all eternity. By the angels and archangels, by the communion of saints and the church triumphant, by all of us singing throughout all eternity the mighty, wonderful works of God in Christ. There is nothing more. Splendor filled with awe and majesty than that true gift that we have in Christ who covers us with his blood so that we are without spot or blemish. And though we so greatly treasure this gift of our salvation and that we eagerly await the coming and return of Christ, we still struggle to keep awake. It's a real struggle for us. As you see in the text, none of those who were waiting for the bridegroom's arrival did so perfectly. Being 100% attentive, always being watching and ready, they all fell asleep. Jesus had just spoken to the disciples, telling them that no one knows the day or the hour of the Son's return in glory. In, in Matthew 24, he says that it will come like a thief in the night. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. So what sort of sleep is Jesus talking about here? 
What is the sleep that we are being warned of here that we must ourselves be ready to face? He's not asking you to load up on caffeine or start your IV of coffee that I might have done this morning because I was very tired. That's not what he's talking about here. What Jesus is speaking about here are the things in this world that lull to sleep our faith. That cause us to give second place or third place or fourth place to the gospel, to the sacrament, to prayer, to the hymnody in the Bible, the Psalms, to devotion, meditation on the word of God. You heard just not too long ago, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take it up. Why isn't our shield of faith always up? Why do we have to take it up? Why isn't it always lifted in defense against the darts of the evil one? It's a question we have to ask. Why does Jesus talk about all of us falling asleep? Because the Lord is heralding his coming through the preaching of the gospel, and at the same time, the devil is singing his lullabies. And they're not the ones your mom sang to you. So what are the things that lull your faith to sleep? Where have you let down your guard and fallen asleep? What are these deadly things that the devil has used to make you feel secure, distracted from the poison of death, that extinguishes the flame of faith. The devil has read each of you like a good book. He's seen the best things in which are your weaknesses. He knows what you're most willing to succumb to and where you're most likely to let down your shield of faith. And you've heard of the seven deadly sins. But you know that all sins are fatal and deadly without faith in Christ. But most of our sins come from the root of those seven. Pride, covetousness, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, slothfulness. Where is your security? Where are you letting the devil take a foothold? Where are you thinking that you can let go and feel secure and unguarded in sin? None of those who were to be waiting for the Lord did so perfectly. Each of us fell asleep. Each of us were told to stay awake, to be watchful, but we all fall asleep. So we must be mindful, rather that we are not above falling asleep, becoming distracted, being lulled by the devil's false sense of security, thinking that, well, if I sin now, I'll probably have time to repent afterward. If I say this one thing, it's not as bad as when such and such said this. If I take this one time, who's going to know? The devil's patient cannot forcefully make you leave the faith, 
God force you to stop making use of your baptism to subdue the flesh and these passions. He's patient. He comes at us over again and again, wearing us down with temptations so that we leave the faith ourselves of our own will and of our own desire. It's like a frog that enters into that warm water and doesn't realize the temperature is rising until it's then boiled frog. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. You don't know when the call will come, but it will come. Come meet your maker, they say. When they heard the cry, those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And there were some that realized their mistake. And at the end, they said, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But guess what? You can't believe for another. Even St. Paul wished that he could be damned and so save another, but it doesn't work like that. You can't believe for another. And those wise virgins said, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. Go to the dealers. But the dealers were closed. Those who had heralded the Lord's coming and the preaching of the word, which was the oil for those lamps, they were gone. They were there waiting for the Lord's return as well. The time for mercy had come to an end. Don't play with sin. Don't think that you can get away with it. That is lulling your faith to sleep. Faith confesses that you have sinned. Faith goes away from those things which lead to death. Do not think that if you do such sinful things, you can avoid it in some way, destroying your faith, that it won't have any effect. This text is very harsh. There will never be enough faith for somebody else to save you. Faith isn't something you can set aside. The gospel isn't something you can set aside. It is something you need. The Christian faith is a living faith. It is something which God gives to us that claims everything that Jesus has done for us. That is why those who fell asleep were ready at the Lord's coming, though they had slumbered. They were ready because they claimed the obedience of Christ. They claimed his suffering. They claimed his death. They claimed his resurrection. They believed that when he came, they would be as holy as spotless, not because of what they had done or failed to do, but because of what Jesus had given them. They were strong in his grace, as you sang. His love is what triumphed. His love is what bore our sins upon the cross, and that is what they had carried with them. The forgiveness of their sins, life, and salvation. When Jesus finally comes to consummate that marriage to his holy bride, 
those with true faith will be ready to meet him because they have with them the Holy Spirit and they have the Holy Word of God. So take it in now while the market is here, while the dealers are selling, that is, while the pastors are preaching and the sacrament is offered, for that is what is the sustenance of your faith. That is what keeps it alive. For those who despise God's word don't know God. And those who despise God's word will not be known by God in the end. They will be locked out of heaven. Jesus will say to them, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. But when you carry with you the gospel and the word of God, you will always have enough. It is your wisdom and your strength, the light of faith in your heart. And it lightens the way to the coming of Christ and the entrance into eternal kingdom and the heavenly feast which God has made for us. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.